Good morning, everybody. Uh, we are about to uh, unpack just the final verses of uh, 1 Corinthians. Um, but before we do, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up in terms of where we're going from here and some things that you need to be aware of uh, as next week quickly comes. So we finished this series today, and then next week we're going to be starting a new series on the book of Acts. Uh, seven months, I believe, was 1 Corinthians, and right now we're projecting about 18 months for the book of Acts. Here is uh, kind of a, a look at where we're going with it. The title of the series is going to be Jesus Plainly Spoken. And we're um, working off of that word plainly, uh, which is sometimes translated plainly, and then other times translated more courageously. When we hear the word plainly, often we think of it in terms of like its simplicity. And sure, that's true. It's clarity. Sure, that's true. But often when the Bible speaks about that the gospel goes out plainly or Jesus explained to them plainly who he did, um, at the very root of that word is not just a sense of clarity or simplicity, but also with it like a sense of boldness that exists in it. And that's what we want to do. Um, we want in the book of Acts for Jesus, who he is, um, his plan and his purposes uh, to glorify the Father through his work and life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit and all of that. We want to make much of that through the book of Acts in order to help us with that. Um, if you're in the lobby today, so on your way out, right, you'll have an opportunity to see on one of the back walls not only that picture, but then a stack of books. We stumbled across this. The ESV translation recently has come up with not only their own Bibles, but they actually have taken each book of the New Testament and created an opportunity for people to have on, so this is just, just the book of Acts, okay? And on the one side of the page is the text itself and then a room for notes, and so we thought that this might be good to make available for all of us. And so if you head out into the lobby, you can grab one of those. We'll split the cost with you. As you know, um, we love to give things away. And so uh, we're just going to be asking. Uh, so people that just don't take one and then take another one. And then someday you look in the back seat of your car and in there there's 17 copies of the book of Acts, right? Because you just grabbed one each week. So we're asking $3 um, to just help cover the cost of this. And, then, and by the way, just know this. If you don't have the $3, we'll take care of it. We want more than anything else for you to have the Word of God in your hand and then for you to interact it. We've actually put inside of there a little bit of a sample page. Ryan was kind enough to kind of show us how he works through a biblical text. And so that's also located there as well. And so if you want one of these um, to be able to go through this series together, to have something, I know some of you are going, but wait a second, what about all the notes I write in my Bible? Hey, I get it. I totally get it. We're just saying this is a, a, an option, okay? This is just one particular thing, but we know that it might be good for you to sit down and to go through the book of Acts, and then to have this to go through again and again and again. Um, also, in light of this new series that is coming up, um, we are going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, we take our time here every Sunday very intentionally. Uh, we gather together at 745 as a staff and pray. 
At 9 o'clock, we gather together as an entire team um, that leads worship and runs sound and does all of that. And we pray for our time together that God might be glorified, that the truth about Jesus might be clearly presented, that people would actually respond to the gospel and gather around the table and deal with the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that we would celebrate lives given to Jesus Christ, right? So all of these things become a deep part of who we are. In light of that, we're always asking questions, how can we best respond to who Jesus Christ is, like his actual presence? We're not here to talk about ideas, although there are ideas in them, but it is the person of Jesus Christ. It is the reality of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that matters so much to us. And so in light of that, and in light of this new series... What we are going to be doing for the next 18 months is changing a little bit the order of our worship. Um, there is no one set way to, to do worship. And right now, kind of our, uh, the way that we do it is we open with some songs, and those songs help prepare our hearts and our minds to then gather around the table and then gather around the Word and have the Word proclaimed to us. And then after the Word is proclaimed, we are sent out. That's kind of how that works. In light of this series... Um, we have really decided that it might be good for us for, to spend a season. Um, instead of doing it in that way, do it in this way. Um, that there will be, at the beginning of every service, like we have, a call to worship. So not only a welcome and a time for us to be aware of those people that we're worshiping with. That's what we're doing. We're not just trying to break the ice. We're trying to say, hey, these are our brothers and sisters around us, or these are visitors around us. Let's know who we're worshiping with this morning. And then immediately following that, there's going to be a call to worship in which we will have a, a time to, to just gather ourselves and go, wow, we are about to not just enter into, in some sense, the presence of God, but we are about to engage a very real God in a very intimate, corporate and personal way. And then immediately following that, we're going to have like a reading of Scripture. And then the Word is going to be proclaimed to us. So we'll be beginning with the sermon uh, earlier in, in the order of worship. And then after the word has been proclaimed, the gospel has been proclaimed to us, then we are going to respond by gathering around the table and eating and drinking together. And then we are going to respond in song to this great God that sent his only son to die for us. And then we are going to be sent out as his ambassadors to a lost and dying world. And so that's going to be a bit of the change. And so we've also come up with a, uh, we, we, we launched this a little while ago, this particular podcast, I think it's episode 68, episode 68, um, in our Consider This. And so I don't know if you've been following that, but it's called Don't Be Late for Church. And what we're, we're not trying to do this in any way, shape, or form to kind of cut you. You came in a little bit late. And uh, we've never actually felt good when people say, oh, I can't believe Jim started preaching early. I felt like I missed something. no. It's not about where the sermon is, and it's not about where the songs are. It really is about um, recognizing the importance of us all very intentionally coming together for all of it. Together to hear the word spoken. Together hear the text read. Together gathering in prayer. Together singing in song. Together gathering around the table. Um, to even to the point where, as a staff, we've talked about that it can be a bit of our tendency to walk in late. You know, we get caught in the lobby and uh, all of a sudden we're not trying to be rude and it might be our last time to get a chance to talk and man, and then we kind of wander in a little bit late and as a staff we're going to commit ourselves to try to be more on time. Uh, not, not for the worship team or Jim who's speaking or Kyle or whoever is, who's, is, is directing worship, 
But just an understanding that our worship time together is something that is joyful and wonderful. And sometimes it's a celebration, but it's always very intentional. And so we're trying to kind of pull all of that together. So we just want to give you a bit of a heads up and even a little bit of an explanation in terms of the reasoning behind a lot of this. But I am excited about our time together going through this book. But like as we always say when we start a series, not that we would just get through a book, but that book would get through us. And so I want to just uh, uh, pray for our time together beginning next week. So will you pray with me? God, we thank you um, for your word that is given to us. And we thank you for the gathering of your people. And God, the truth is I, Jim Johnson, can sometimes take that for granted. I could be the one who uh, shows up when I'm ready and walks in when I've taken care of everything instead of realizing that there is something profound and real that is happening as we enter into your presence and give full recognition to who you are. And so I thank you, Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I get to celebrate with. I thank you for the word um, that is eternal and is spoken and is taught to me. I thank you so much for uh, just even the little things that we go through and the big things that we go through. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you for, for people that can lead worship in song so powerfully. And somehow the blending together of instruments and voices can just be inspiring. I, I, I'm amazed at how you've orchestrated all of these things for your glory and for our benefit. Pray, Father, that it would truly be our joy. And so we give you not only our time in the future, but our time today. May our hearts and minds be receptive, and may we respond. It's in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to begin in verse 5 and kind of go through Paul's final instructions um, I enjoy reading the end of Paul's letters. Usually they're skipped over, much like the very beginning and the very end. It's kind of like, well, that's not the, the, the heart of the matter. It's the heart of the matter. It's those chapters in the middle that really are the parts that jump out at me the most. After all, 1 Corinthians 13, that's more in the middle. 1 Corinthians 7, all this instruction about marriage, that's right in the middle. That at the beginning of a letter, you know, it's like, hey, how are you doing? Things are going well. Here's kind of where I'm at. And then you get into the real meat of it. And then all of a sudden when you're wrapping up, hey, say hi to so-and-so and say hi to so-and-so. You can in your own time take a look at Romans chapter 16. Paul spends an entire chapter just saying both hello and goodbye to a series of names. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come to the names in the Bible, I kind of skim through it. Anybody else? Just kind of skim through it. I don't know if this is important as, uh, and we were by our nature objects of God's wrath, but God in his great love for us. Now that just sounds important, doesn't it? But hey, say hi to Tychicus for me and bring my coat. Just doesn't have the same theological weight, does it? And so here we are at the end of Paul's letter. But let's not just forget that the Apostle Paul isn't just firing off an email and then, oh yeah, firing off another email. He hits send and they get it. Ding! No. The Apostle Paul traveled to the city of Corinth and preached the gospel. And he told people about this amazing, radical news that God had put on flesh and that Jesus was his name and that he died and was buried and then was raised again and ascended into heaven. 
He talked about that if they believed in this and they trusted Jesus for their salvation, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and their lives would be different. And the Apostle Paul then entrusted the good news, the gospel, to these people in the Holy Spirit and then said, got to go. And he left. And these people are left trying to figure out, like, how does this change my marriage? How does this change the way I do business? How does this change my friendships across the aisle and across town? How does this fundamentally change everything about me and what they didn't have? were like 500 copies of the book of Acts for $3 in their lobby. They didn't have that. They had Paul. And they had Timothy. And they had Apollos. They had Aquila and Priscilla. They had Barnabas. They had Peter. That's what the church had. Sure, they had the Old Testament, but how many of you, when you want to hear about Jesus and understand who he is and the implications of who he is, turn to the book of Psalms? I'm not saying you can't, but it's tough to go there. It's tough to make sense of that. Imagine an entire group of Gentile believers who don't have the rich traditions of the Jewish faith just trying to figure out, man, I'm just trying to be a good husband. Maybe I'm not trying to be a good husband. How does the gospel shape all this? I just wouldn't be surprised that Paul's intent was to write like 120 chapters for this book. I think he could have just gone on and on and on. But for the sake of time, for the sake of whatever, he decided to bring it to a close. And then like most preachers that say in conclusion, and they don't mean it, and it frustrates you, I know. Does he know what time it is? He said in conclusion. I don't think he knows what in conclusion means, right? In conclusion, (laughs) the Apostle Paul is bringing all of this to a close. I I, I love, it's been kind of a newer thing for me to just go back and to read kind of, what does he end with? What are some of those key words that he uses to um, not not reteach, but to underline? Like maybe there's some bold and italicized and underlined words in these final, final sentences that really helped the Corinthian people go, wow, like Paul was really serious about this. And what I love about the end of Paul's letters is it's almost like they could just have like bullet points. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, one more thing. And that's kind of how it comes. You also sometimes, in the beginning and the end, you can really get a sense of his heart. Um, Instead of it just, just being just rich doctrine, you also get a sense of like not just what he thinks, but how he thinks about it. And so that's what I want to conclude with today, is is looking at how the Apostle Paul thinks about Jesus Christ and about the gospel, about the coming Holy Spirit, about the church, and about how all of these things fit together. So the Apostle Paul has this powerful um, sustaining force in him, the Holy Spirit, that teaches him this wise perspective on life that goes like this. If the Lord permits, if the Lord permits, now in, we, we love confidence and boldness. We, we like overstatement. And the Apostle Paul will definitely make bold statements. But everything that the Apostle Paul says and everything that the Apostle Paul does seems to fit under this large umbrella of if the Lord permits. Yeah, sure, the Apostle Paul is going to make plans, and I think I'm going to be here, and then I'm going to go here, and then afterwards I want to do this. But he knows at the very, very end of it all, it is God who makes these decisions. 
And so he has this attitude we see beginning in verse 5. Notice the boldness of his plans. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, where, by the way, the church of Philippi would be and the church of Thessalonica would not be too far away. For I intend to pass through Macedonia and, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus, which is on the other side of this sea, in in what is now modern-day Turkey. And then you have Philippi at the top of that body of water, and then Corinth down on the other side. So he's basically moving around this peninsula, churches that we know about in Ephesus and in in, in Macedonia, or in uh, Philippi and Macedonia and Thessalonica and in, in Corinth. He is going back. It's not just, I've given you the truth about Jesus. Good luck with that. He recognizes this close connection that he has formed with them, this bond that they share. And I'm going to go so bold as to say a dependence that exists between them. Do you hear me? A dependence that exists between them. I plan to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. That's not new for the Apostle Paul. He has seen adversaries in many of the places that he's went. He's actually got adversaries that exist in the city of Corinth. But the Apostle Paul, in his understanding of who God is and his plan for his life, recognizes that there's not only the need for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people and for other people to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, but for them to us to go back and then to go back again 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 and and strengthen one another. I love how the Apostle Paul makes it very clear just how this relationship works so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Well, just recently in last week's text in the first part of 1 Corinthians 16, talks about like taking up this offering for Jerusalem and and maybe he's talking about money. Maybe the Apostle Paul needs to go back and, and, and to be not only refreshed emotionally and relationally, but maybe even like financially so that he can continue this ministry. See, the Apostle Paul believes so strongly that Jesus Christ has come and that Jesus Christ has established his church, one body, that he recognizes this very real and literal dependence on one another. Man, this just comes as a shock, especially to a culture like ours that just loves and fights for its own independence. That even when we look at things like bulletins that have events, it looks more like a selection of things that you're going to try to fit into your calendar than like events that are happening at a family reunion that you want to be a part of. It's so fascinating how the Apostle Paul looks across the aisle, and if you were to look across the aisle, you would go, I don't even know if I know most of those people. And the Apostle Paul says, whether you know them by name or not, When you just stop and reflect on the depth of the binding nature that we have in Jesus Christ, that we don't loosely throw around the word brother or sister or father or mother in the faith, 
that we don't treat casually the relationships that exist. And so the Apostle Paul believes that squarely everything lands on God. If the Lord permits, and in the midst of that, just recognizes that here's what's going to happen and here's what I'm going to do. And there are enemies that are trying to undo everything that we're doing. And so therefore, like I need you and you need me. That so many of us, as we are struggling in our faith, feel like we are in over our head and we are in over our head individually. But I promise you we're not in over our head collectively. Some of us become tired of holding others up. Some of us become really, really tired of being held up. Some of us are just trying to figure out our own faith. We just don't have the time. And if we're honest, the interest to try to help those around us. But you just can't get out of any of Paul's letters without recognizing this deep and powerful understanding of interdependence. Not independence. I'm on my own. Not just complete dependence. Man, I'd be nothing without you. But this, here's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's made us into a family. And the healthiest families, as Paul is describing, are very, very, very aware of what God is ultimately doing and how, respectably and responsibly, we are here for one another. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul says, I need you. Like, I need you. I need to be refreshed by you, and I need to be encouraged by you. One of the greatest joys in ministry is for someone to come up and say, man, thank you so much for what you've done for me. But can I just speak on behalf of those of us that are in leadership, not just ministers, but for those of us that are in leadership, thank you so much for your faithful witness, because if it wasn't for your faithful witness, it'd be so much more difficult to preach. There is nothing more encouraging and joyful to hear someone else say after preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, I believe in that same thing. Do not take your faith lightly. And so the Apostle Paul recognizes that under God's timing and direction, we don't know exactly how all of this is going to play out, but there are adversaries and we are in this together. Verse 10, so when Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as I am. So let no one despise him, Paul says in his letter to Timothy, let no one look down on you because you're young. Unlike in today's culture, where if you're young, you're a genius, and the older you get, the less impressed, it'd be the opposite. In their culture, Timothy, this young man who probably was in his mid-twenties, they would look at him, and what can this guy offer us? And the Apostle Paul said, I'll tell you what he can offer you. He can offer you the truth about who Jesus Christ is. So you need to look beyond his driver's license at the truth about what he is speaking and hear these things. The Apostle Paul tells the church, Timothy has been sent. Make sure you put him at ease. Make sure you recognize he is doing the work of the Lord just as me. And do not let, actively, do not let anyone despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may also return to me. For I'm expecting him with the brothers. And now concerning your brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you and with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. I find that fascinating. We love to talk about the will of God. Do you know what the will of God is? Do you know what the will of God is? Do you know what the will of God is? Do you know what the will of God is? 
And here you have the Apostle Paul looking at this person and saying, hey, Apollos, here's what I think you need to be doing. And Paulus goes, okay, I don't think so. Interestingly enough, both in the Spirit. It doesn't say Paul was right and Apollos was wrong. I've been in these situations. I've had people say to me, hey, Jim, here's what I think the will of God is for you. I have to stop. I have a very strong mentor in my life who one time was telling me that he thought God was calling me in a particular direction and even to a particular place. And it weighed heavy on me. I didn't just blow him off. I didn't sense it at all, but I didn't just blow him off. See, it's if the Lord permits. See, what Paul is hoping that we can all do as followers of Jesus Christ is to recognize his leading. Listen, Paul's awesome. Apollos is awesome. None of them are Jesus. None of them, Paul himself, none of them replace the ongoing guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. I love this. It happens also in the book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul is set, his mind is set, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I think I'm going to die. And he tells that to the church, at Ephesus actually. And those elders plead with him in the Spirit, do not go, because you're going to die. And Paul goes, yeah, I know, the Spirit told me I'm going to die. And they said, yeah, well, the Spirit seems to be leading us to say not to go. And Paul goes, thank you, but I need to go. I love that. See, some people, that drives them crazy. What's the answer? I'll tell you, here's the answer. The answer is, the Spirit's going to do what the Spirit's going to do. That there is always a sense of pursuing God's direction for you, pursuing God's direction for your family, pursuing God's direction for even those people that you are called to lead. And then have somehow at the bottom of your prayer, if the Lord permits, it doesn't bother me at all that the great Apostle Paul and even the pretty amazing Apostle Apollos have these moments of disagreement. And Paul seems to say, hey, listen, Like, I'm not Apollos' boss, so when he has opportunity, he'll come. I wish he would come now. I'm not the one in charge, right? The great Apostle Paul, I'm not the one in charge. It is a healthy reminder that as we seek the Lord's guidance and direction, as we pursue to follow him wherever he leads, and as we even encourage others to do the same, there is at the end of each of our prayers, as the Lord permits The Apostle Paul then continues because there's more that needs to be said. And as he's wrapping this up and time is quickly coming to a close, there is something that he loves to go back time and time again and say, listen, in light of the fact that I don't have a lot of time here, this is one thing that's just always worth hearing. And he says it in verse 13, be watchful. It's just always appropriate. It's always appropriate to say to the church, to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, like be watchful. Um, Sometimes it's translated, pay attention. Sometimes translated, wake up. It's just so easy for us, especially when we've already given our life to Jesus Christ, to just assume that everything from here on out is just one foot after the next until we find ourselves sometimes even sleepwalking, not pay attention to where we're walking or where we've come from. And this is the biggest concern Paul has, or where we're going. So Paul will say to the church, wake up. Paul will say, I need you to pay attention. I need you to have 
Um, an intentionality, as Kyle has talked about today. You need to have an awareness of where you stand in Christ. Are you aware of that? We have become, over the last few hundred years in the West, particularly in America, absolutely obsessed with just the simple question, are you saved or not saved? Like somehow that's all the Bible really discusses. You saved? Like somehow that answers every question. And the Bible actually talks about it in a much deeper, in a much more introspective way. The Bible actually says to those who are saved, meaning for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, you need to pay attention. You need to stay awake. You need to be diligent about this. He is aware that he's not just asking, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? A word meaning, are you justified by your faith in Jesus Christ? But he's also asking this question. Are you aware of God's plan for your life, not just to rescue you from hell when you die, but to make you more in the image of Christ as you live? Are you aware of that? And the Apostle Paul is drawing deep attention to that. Let me give you a text that should just jump to you by now. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13.5. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. I make reference to it quite a bit. The Apostle Paul says this in this text. Examine yourselves to make sure that you are in the faith. He goes on to say, and you can do this by recognizing the work of the Spirit that's in you, if indeed the Spirit is in you. The Apostle Paul is writing that to the people of Corinth. He is saying that not only is our decision to follow Jesus Christ something that we have done. It is actually something that we do. That in fact, every significant relationship works like this. Like not only did I say, hey, Andrea, will you marry me? That was December 30th, 1988. But then after she said, yes, um, we waited in October, or sorry, August the 19th, 1989, we said yes again. And we committed to each other. And then we've had to work through the joy and the struggle and the pain and even sometimes the failure of saying yes again and again and again and again. Like Andrew and I, do you want to have kids? Yeah, I think we should have kids. And then God gave us kids. And then we had kids. And it came a time when I come home and I'm just like, I'm just tired and there's, yeah, I know you're tired, but we have kids, right? Like, I don't want to deal with this. I know you don't want to deal with this, but we have kids. All right, we have kids. And then our kids grow up, and they leave home. And then we say, hey, guess what? We still have to help our kids. And I'm like, I thought we were done helping our kids. No, we're not done helping our kids. We have kids, Right? Like, that's true about every relationship. How many of you have had to kind of rethink about where you work? Rethink your career? By the way, I'm not saying that all of these are even equal. But the Apostle Paul is constantly reminding these Christian people that they weren't trying to figure out a way to just not go to hell. They were looking for a life, a kingdom to live in, a life to have their lives begin to model. So my desire is not just to not go to hell. But my desire is to actually be made in the image of Jesus. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be 
a spiritual awakeness, a spiritual alertness, a spiritual attentiveness. And so Paul says to the Corinthian people, and we need to hear this today, like, pay attention. We, here's how we say it here at Sunnybrook. That our job as leaders at Sunnybrook Christian Church are to help people understand their current spiritual condition and take responsibility, your responsibility, for spiritual growth. So where are you at? Where are you at spiritually? Have you given, have you decided to trust Jesus with your sin problem? Have you recognized that by your nature you are an object of God's wrath? But because of his love for you, he has given you new life or the opportunity of new life in Jesus? Are you still banking on the fact that you're good enough? Are you still living with yourself as truly king or queen of your kingdom? And you are selectively choosing for God to bless your life? Or have you given your life by faith to God through Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished? If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, can I ask you, do you know where you're going? Like if you could see you in the next five years, where are you going? Are you going into a relationship with God through Christ and where his work and his purposes are becoming more and more evident? Or are you going through a time where you're not aware of the path of destruction, the seeds of your own destruction that you are sowing? Are you not aware that you are continually saying no to Jesus Christ, no to his plans, no to his purposes? Relationally, book of 1 Corinthians, sexually, book of 1 Corinthians, or even how you love those around you? Are you building within yourself, in your own heart and in your own mind, a habit of saying no to Jesus and yes to you? That's what's going on in Corinth. And Paul says, hey, like I'm pleading with you, wake up. Pay attention. Paul says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Be strong. Act like men, he says. Interesting, came across a couple of commentaries. I read a multitude of commentaries. And uh, it was very interesting that especially those on the liberal ones didn't even want this in the text. Like they didn't even talk about it. I thought that was kind of funny. Act like men, you know what he means. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. There it is. Like he can't stop talking about that love that he described so perfectly in chapter 13. And now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. As the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to wake up. Notice what he is also saying. You don't have to wake up alone. You don't have to do this alone. Yet once again, you're not in this alone. Like just waves beating against the shoreline. The Apostle Paul says, God has given you his spirit. God has given you his church. God has given you other saints. God has not forced you to go through this alone. 
And therefore, wake up. Pay attention. Don't just presume on the fact that years ago, everything was going so well that everything is going well. When is the last time you spent some intentional, some intentional reflection on the current state? And, and when I, I want to be more, more specific. Instead of just saying your heart, I'm not talking about just like a feeling. I'm, I'm actually talking about like what Paul is describing here is an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and a devotion towards obedience to him. The reign of Jesus Christ in the world and in your life. Like, where are you at with that? Because when we live in our lives in recognition of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, like, then we, we don't need to worry. We don't need to worry about ever meeting him because we're ready for him at all times. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Wake up. Be ready. He, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, talking about the second coming of the Lord. And he says, now, for those of us who are believers, here's the good news. It will never come, like Jesus' second coming will never come as a surprise. Or should something happen to you and you meet him because of your untimely death, you don't have to worry. Everything is prepared. Everything is ready. Why? Because you've already dealt with it. And the Apostle Paul says, spiritual people, followers of Jesus Christ, are constantly, like continually, like regularly, like recognizing what the Spirit is saying and responding to that. Like hearing what God has done and then responding to that. We live in this constant ebb and flow of realizing the goodness and the greatness of God and our own brokenness. And then we find ourselves, by the power of the Spirit, in the joy of community, becoming more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. That's what church is. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what the church is. And the Apostle Paul says, That's what I want you to see. And that's what I want you to actively participate in. And then he concludes, the Apostle Paul loves this statement, being the great apostle of grace, not like he has like some kind of monopoly on it. I think Peter and John, the rest would go, seriously, Paul, you think you got a monopoly on grace? And I think he'd say, no, I don't. I don't think I do. The one who has a monopoly on grace is God, and he is so gracious. And the Apostle Paul begins and ends every letter with grace and peace to you, Here's what he says in verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. There's kind of an interesting way to end a letter. Hey, by the way, if anybody doesn't love the Lord, let him be accursed. (laughs) That is just so, just like that act like men statement, it just so bristles against our modern sensitivities, which I like to be reminded that maybe my modern sensitivities are messed up. The Apostle Paul says very boldly, and I don't think glibly, and I don't even think joyfully, that when there are adversaries and when there is a war that is taking place, then this is what happens. There are those who love the Lord, and there are those who do not love the Lord, and those who love the Lord can eagerly expect and be excited about his coming, and they can just cry out, Maranatha, Jesus, I so want to see you. And those people who do not love the Lord those people who do not love Jesus, who do not want to spend time with Jesus, who really don't want Jesus to tell them what to do. They don't, I don't want to tell you who to sleep with, and I don't want to tell you how to spend my money. I don't want you to tell me how to live my life. Like, I don't need one more mother, Jesus, so I don't need you in my life. And 
Paul says to those people, no matter how kindly or unkindly that they say no to Jesus, Paul says, let them be cursed. It's not a, just a blind statement. I would argue it's even more of a reality. Let them be, the word in the Greek is anathema. Because one day Jesus will come. And he will come for those who love him. For those who desire to be with him. For those who desire to be rewarded by him. And for those who do not love him. Whether they understand it or not. Whether they even want it or not. There will be nothing for them but cursed. Anathema. The end. Destruction. So Paul's making not a quick statement. Making a profound statement. And then he makes that wonderful statement. Maranatha. Maranatha. We know it as come Lord Jesus, right? Maranatha. It can mean one of two things. It can either be said in a way where it's like, Jesus, come! Like this cry. Come, Lord Jesus. See, Broadway likes to say, I love my life so much, right? That I, how, how, do you, how do you say it again, Steve? Yeah, I love my life so much. Can't, I mean, I'll be glad when it's over, right? It's not a matter of, man, my life is bad. It's even when my life is good. Come, Lord Jesus. Another way that you could actually make the statement Maranatha, depending on how, how you, it's, a, it's a, actually an Aramaic, Aramaic word um, that is just transliterated in our Bibles. Um, it could either be, come Lord Jesus, or it could be a statement, the Lord has come. We don't really know exactly which way to translate it. Most of our translations say, come Lord Jesus. But I like the fact that really both fit. As Paul is ending this letter, I think he's saying, come Lord Jesus. Man, I'd love it if you come. We're ready. Our hearts, our minds, our lives are ready. We're already living under your kingship. We're already living under your reign, and yet we're in this broken world, and the only thing that could make this wonderful world that you've given us, the only thing that could make it better is your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. But I think the Apostle Paul is also saying, do you know the Lord has come? Did you know that he has come, that things have already been set right? That his plan of restoration and his plan of redemption has already come? He says in verse 23 and 4, And grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let it be. When my boys were little, we would gather for a time of prayer, and at the end of every prayer, we would say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. I still remember the first time the boys, I just said it kind of just thinking about this text, and one of the boys asked me, God, Dad, what does that Maranatha word mean? And I said, it means come Lord Jesus. And so we're actually called to say, come Lord Jesus. And one of the boys actually said to me, so if we say it, will he come? Yeah, he really will. Like he really will. Like you will meet him someday. That's why this isn't just an idea. Jesus is a very real person. He is the embodiment of the creator of the universe. And one day he will come, and those who love him, he will receive. And those that do not love him, it will be a bad day for them. I shared uh, two weeks ago that we were waiting on some news regarding Andrea's mom. Um, recently, uh, they had some concerns about her health, and so she went in on Tuesday of this week, and they came back with the news that she has cancer that cannot be treated. And so uh, right after this service, we're going to uh, get on a plane and fly to Calgary uh, to, to just prepare for the possibility of saying goodbye to my mother-in-law, to Andrea's mom, to the boy's grandma. 
Um, now, she's a believer. And so we really have this Maranatha, Lord Jesus. We're not, we're not aching for what she is about to experience in Christ. Like that has already been set. And we are so grateful for that hope that comes. And so you can be praying for our time together as a family. And you can be praying um, for the opportunity that we are going to have to just bask in 1 Corinthians 15. For we have a hope that resides in Christ and in Christ alone. And then we have an opportunity to witness to some family members, particularly I would say her sisters and their families who have not put their faith in Christ. And I really would ask you to pray that our witness would be strong and true, that somehow they would be able to look at us and see something that was different because the Lord has come. And so we eagerly wait, come Lord Jesus. That somehow they could see in us not wishful thinking and not pie-in-the-sky idealism, but lives that are firmly entrenched and grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we alone have in him. For it is not just in this life that we have hope, for if it is, we are to be pitied above all people. But we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and so we believe that when he comes back, he will bring with him those who have already gone asleep, and so we wait for that day. And as a church, we say what? Maranatha. We had a bumper prepared, and, or a, a kind of a video prepared, and I'm just going to kind of skip over that. I would like for us, as we close, um, we'll probably post it on Facebook, because it's a great summary of the book of 1 Corinthians, but our time is up. And so I would like for us to just pray as a church um, that this text would kind of linger long in our hearts and minds as we leave. So please stand, and let's pray, and then we will be dismissed. God, thank you for your plan and purpose for us in Christ. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to know Jesus and to know the hope that comes in him and in him alone. God, thank you for this book that speaks to every aspect of our lives and even those aspects that we didn't know we had. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have, that the reason why I believe that there is hope for believers who die it's not because I want it to be true, but because Jesus Christ himself was raised from the dead and there is no more boasting of sin and grave for you reign. Thank you for the words of this text and the hope that they give us. Father, may we live in light of that. May we live awake and aware and responsive to the good news of Jesus Christ. May all of that come for your glory, others' benefit and our joy. And the church said... Love you guys, God bless, and we will see you next Sunday.